you have your Bibles, we will be in Romans today, chapter 15. This is the second week in Advent, um, which is a season of waiting. It's a season uh, the early church um, found helpful as we prepare for Christmas. I think maybe I, I find it incredibly helpful uh, just as a reaction against how the secular time of the year makes me feel. Does that make sense? Like just the, the chaos and the crazy and the, the busy and the go, go, go and the expectations and the planning, all that makes me kind of chaotic. And, and so I love the, I, the things that Advent presses on us um, it, it include at least stillness and quiet uh, because Advent is about waiting. Uh, there's the, at its most basic, if you're not familiar with Advent, uh, it, it, uh, it means arrival or coming, uh, and we live between the two arrivals of Christ. And he arrived as a child uh, thousands of years ago, was born uh, in a manger in Bethlehem. He arrived then, and then he departed, ascended, and we wait for his second arrival. He promised that he would come again. So we live between these two times. And so living between these two times means some things. There's, there's a tension in Advent uh, that I love. Um, it, it makes me stop and remind. I'm such a one-track mind person. We're headed this way, and anything that distracts me, like I write purpose statements for almost everything. Here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it, and here's how we're going to get there. And anything that distracts me, I will destroy. That's just kind of how I am, and I have to fight that by nature. So Advent reminds me that there's this tension Right, I just want to accomplish things, and but there needs to be this stillness and this quiet and this consideration that it's not just a plan that can be accomplished. There's a lot going on. So, so it, one of the things that it does is this. First of all, like just my immediate reaction to Advent is that I just love it so much. I think that part of it is, even though there's an element of, of darkness, Advent kind of begins with the idea of darkness, but it's just a happy time for me. Like I, as, as I, I think maybe it's just because I try to declutter not just my life, but my mind and my heart. So like I, like November and October are chaos. Like as I prepare for December, trying to slow down and spend more time reading books that I want to read more time and stillness and quiet, just being with, with family more and, and just doing things that remind me to be present in this in between. Right. And so I love it. I think a lot of it has to do with the music. I just absolutely love the songs of Advent, right? Uh, uh, but uh, I love that they only come around like once a year, right? They're like uh, homegrown tomatoes, right? <laughs> it's just the, like, it's good that they're only here for a short season, right? Because it makes them all the more special and all the more delicious. So I, I just love the music of it. Uh, so I, I, it's a very happy season. Uh, we are Easter people. Christians are Easter people living in Advent. Our whole lives are lived in the in-between, so this season just helps prepare us for that. Also, I'm aware at the same time of that even though it's a happy time for me, that there's this tension that for some people this time of year is the worst time of year. Like this, just, there's just a reality uh, that uh, no matter how bright the lights are, no matter how perfect the music is, no matter how great the gifts are, no matter how many times that you watch Elf, Christmas Story, 8-Bit Christmas, or Die Hard, it's still sad right? There's still loss, right? No matter how much we try to inject these things into our lives or, or that we're surrounded by these things, for some people it's a time of great hurt because relationships have been broken, right? It's a great hurt because there are people that should be with us that aren't. 
right? And so we're reminded about that this time of year. Uh, It highlights it for some reason. Somebody told me once that that's kind of how the Christian life is, is that there's never a low so low, a darkness so dark, that the hope of the gospel, the light of the gospel can't penetrate it. And at the same time, there are never any highs so high in Advent, in this time in in our life. There are never highs so high that we are also aware that we are living in darkness. Right? That there are people that should be with us that aren't. And so that's what we do. And so this year has that tension between the happiness and the sadness. And it can be both those things. It's probably both of those things for all of us when we stop and think about it. Because we live in the already but not yet, the overlap. The overlap of what Christ has brought the kingdom and we're still waiting for the old age to end and the new age has begun and we're in the overlap in between this. And so it's always gonna be that tension in all of the things because we live in the already but not yet. It's also part of Advent uh, is recognizing that we live in a time of darkness. That's why we light these candles, right? This, this, this tradition of reminding ourselves that the gospel is this light, this ever-increasing and growing light in a time of darkness. It begins in the dark and it slowly dawns. There is darkness, but there's also hope, right? That is part of Advent is the tension of darkness and hope that we all live in. I want to read to you Romans today. Uh, this letter this guy named Paul wrote to these church in Rome. Uh, Paul was this guy who went to the Gentiles. He's an amazing, amazing story. Uh, I just want to read to you. Um, yeah, let's read, the, let's read the first 13 verses, uh, 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for good for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So he sits it up and says, the strong have an obligation to bear with the weak. It's what Christ did, right? And then he says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and, all, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The biblical notion of hope, um, you know, we, when we use say hope, most of the time, we just mean like wish, right? Like, hope you have a nice day, right? Or like, uh, I hope you have, I hope it's a good day for you. Like we kind of mean, yeah, I hope that's, that's, I wish that for you. And the Bible uses the word that way sometimes as well. But primarily the biblical notion of hope is much deeper. It's, it's much stronger. Uh, there is a, 
desire for peace in this world. There's a desire for joy in this world that we all have. This deep satisfaction, this deep shalom uh, is the biblical word. This deep, whole healing that we all feel. And our hope is, the hope that we have is this, this longing for that completeness. Does that make sense? A longing for a completeness. And this isn't a uniquely Christian thing, by the way. It's not a uniquely Christian thing to hope. It's, it's a human desire. It is a human condition to long for peace, to long for that thing right outside of you. Um, not only is it a, it's a, it's a human thing, it, it's, it's an essential thing. It's, hope is incredibly, incredibly powerful. What we believe about our future, what we hope in, what we long for, is so powerful that it it affects how we live today. It affects our perception of what's going on in our lives right now. The thing that we look forward to in the future. It, It seems to be an absolute psychological necessity for human beings to have hope. To long for a thing in the future, to believe in a thing for the future, to work towards a thing in the future that affects how we see and interpret our world now. It's not just a Christian idea. Secular psychologists and philosophers write about it all the time, write about hope. The problem is, is that it's very often, when we think about a secular hope, it's transient, it is ephemeral, it feels like it might be there within grasp and then it's gone immediately. Uh, Nietzsche, who, by the way, him and Camus, my favorite atheists. Uh, it's probably weird for a preacher to have favorite atheists, but like, at least like, I understand like, their argument. I'm like, okay, that's a, like, I don't agree with you and my heart breaks for you, but like, you're making a consistent logical argument. And so Nietzsche, who, philosopher, thinker, he hated hope. Like he, like he actually said at some point, he wrote about hope several times. And he was, he said, he, in one of the introductions of one of his books, he said, do not believe anyone who talks to you of extraterrestrial hope, of something that's going to come outside of you and save you. And the reason that he said that is because he said the worst of all evils is hope because it prolongs the torment of man. So here's how he thought about it. If you have hope that something is going to come and save you, then you just sit in the situation and you don't do anything to overcome it. So he saw hope that way as coming from outside of you as one of the worst evils there could possibly be. That seems like a terrible way to live life. Also, by the way, he couldn't stop talking about hope. He kept writing about hope. He talked about the hope as a rainbow bridge for his Uberman, his Overman, like it was unreal. And matter of fact, towards the end of his life, he, he wrote about hope again. <laughs> what he said was, uh, it's an illusionary bridge. He had to keep writing about hope. He had to keep talking about hope, even though he recognized that it was an illusionary bridge. Because without hope, all you have is despair. If there's no hope, there's only despair. Like, what is left? So you have to continue to consider where does hope come from? So what he said was the only way that you can have hope is finally getting to a place when you believe in your capacity to overcome a situation, to attain what your goals are for you. That, your ability to act to change the situation, that's what you have hope in. That seems awful. Hope in my capacity to overcome? 
I mean, that's only available to a very few people on the planet. To achieve the things that you want, your hope is only in that. That is a nightmare. But he had to keep talking about hope because without it, you have despair. I think one of the reasons that possibly what's going on right now, perhaps the death of the American dream or the revelation that the American dream is not really available to everybody like we thought it was, that that if you just get up and you work hard every day, then you can achieve everything that you want. And a bunch of people are realizing they don't have that. And the numbers of deaths of despair in the last 10 years have gone through the roof. They actually had to come up with the term, deaths of despair. It's a new word. It has to do with people who have committed, committing suicide or dying from overdoses or drug addiction. Sorry, overdose or alcohol. Deaths of despair skyrocketed. Why? A bunch of scientists look at the data and they all basically concluded, just don't have hope. There's no hope. You find yourself in a hopeless situation. All that is left without hope is despair. Things are not going to get better. There is nothing that can happen for me. I wonder if a bunch of the damage that we do to ourselves and other people, uh, by the way, that's just that, that's another word, another way of talking about sin, right? A bunch of the damage that we do to ourselves and other people is because of misplaced hope. We put hope and believe in the wrong thing. Bank account or affection or relationship or people or food. Or kids. And we place all of our hope on that thing to make everything okay. And then it disappoints us and we struggle and we make bad decisions in pursuit of this thing that we place our hope in. I wonder if a lot of people, uh, deconstructing your faith is a thing that came in vogue some years ago, uh, which can be healthy, right? Like there's a healthy way to look at your faith and take it apart and look at the pieces and find out where cultural influences of bad ideas have gotten in and shake that sand out and put it back together. Do that in the context of the church. I don't see that as necessarily a really bad thing. But to just walk away from the faith and say, I need to just examine this and spend some time for me. A bunch of people have been deconstructing, walking away from the faith, at least for a season. And I wonder if a bunch of the reason why is they just put their hope in something else. It seems to happen a lot where people get some success in the secular world and all of a sudden they need to deconstruct their faith. Or maybe you just put your hope somewhere else. And because we have to have that, we have to constantly put it in front of us. So here is what is happening in this passage. We absolutely need hope, but it has to be a firm hope. We need hope um, in something firm and something lasting to make it through dark times. Because we live in dark times. We, um, we need something in the future reality that is greater than ourselves. We need, the greater our faith is in this future hope, the thing that's in the future, the greater our faith is in it. And the firmer the reality of it is, the more peace and joy that we can have in dark times. And listen, we, we live in dark times. Uh, if you don't believe me, I just, you know, you haven't watched the news, right? We live in dark times. And, and here's the deal. I think that the Bible says that we'll have dark times. Oh, oh, let's do it. Let's read Psalm 88. <clears throat> Sorry. What happened? Psalm 88. I read this psalm all the time because it fascinates me. Here's Psalm 88. It's a dark psalm. It says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. 
For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up and praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness to Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayers come before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me altogether. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the reality. The Bible <laughs> The Bible is very realistic about life. It's very realistic that we will struggle. This person believes in God. They're crying out to them and he says, "I'm just covered in darkness. Where are you?" Where's the hope? The darkness is outside. It's oppressive. He's afraid of death. He's afraid of assault. He's afraid of he's lost friends, and it's also inside. The darkness in this time that we live in, the time on this earth, the darkness is sometimes inside. It's fear. It is uh, accusations that well up inside of my own heart and my own head. It is despair and anxiety. It is uh, ideas about fulfillment. All of these things, some of the darkness comes from not just outside but inside. We face these things in the life that we live. The Bible is not trying to sell you something different. C.S. Lewis said, I did not come to religion because I thought religion would make me happy. I knew a bottle of port would do that. He says, as a matter of fact, if you were looking for a religion to make you happy, I do not recommend Christianity. It acknowledges, it is aware that there, the Bible is aware that there are dark times, that we live in dark times. So we have to have hope in dark times. And our hope comes from, according to scripture, according to our text, it comes from the fact of the resurrection. That's where our hope comes from. The fact of the resurrection. Not in some intellectual argument, not in some ethical program, but our hope comes from the simple fact of the resurrection. My future is certain because the resurrection is a fact. That is where my hope is. I know the resurrection happened. I know that I can, that in his death, he made my relationship with God, repaired my relationship with God, made me right with God, and in his resurrection, defeated death and hell, and I know that he's going to return. It is in these historical facts inside time and space that my faith is, is my faith is in, and that is where our hope lies. 
We can have certain hope in future events because of the fact of the resurrection. What is amazing about this to me is that that means it is available to anybody. Nietzsche's hope is only available to a few of us. This hope is available to anybody. It doesn't matter what your personality is like. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter what your person, your po- the possibilities to act, your, your abilities are to overcome. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, who you have in your life. This hope is available to you because it's based in the fact of the resurrection. It doesn't matter what you've done. Because our hope is based in the fact of the resurrection. Because Christ came and died and rose again. This is available to weak, to strong, to Jew, to Gentile, to goody two-shoes, and to terrible sinners. This is the hope. The hope of the Bible is the arrival, the death, resurrection, and return of Jesus. So here's how we lay hold of this. Here's how we have this. Verse four, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. All the things written before were written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. We have hope through endurance and encouragement. That's how we lay hold of the hope. Endurance is this steadfastness. It is staying awake. It is being prepared. It is continuing to walk in the light. It is not being distracted by shiny things. It is not being easily moved from the path set. Endurance. Decide what is true, experience it, and then live that out. But also from encouragement. From the encourage, it says that all of the scripture was written. One of the things it was, was written for was to encourage us. Why it was written was to encourage us so that we could have hope. So here's how we lay hold of this. I think one of the first things that we need to do is to be still. I'm going to say a thing that's going to upset you, but it's okay. You know I love you. You don't have to be as busy as you are. We don't have to be as busy as we are. I mean, if you told my great-grandmother that I have robots that clean my clothes, the floor, and my dishes, she would go, and I eat out most of the time, somebody else prepares my food, she would go, what do you, what do, you do all day? What do you do all day? Well, I've filled my life with all manner of other things that keep me insanely busy. We have time and space. I almost, I truly believe that our culture is trying to steal stillness from us. That's why I love Advent. It calls us to stillness. Psalm 46 says this. Do we have this? Yeah. To the choir master, blah, blah, blah. God is our refuge and a strength, a very present help in trouble. This is hope, right? Hope. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam. Huge things, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Verse 11, 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Our biblical hope is inseparable from faith. Because of what God has done in the past, because of what we've seen him do, we have to learn to be still. 
to meditate on these things, to drive these realities deep into our bones, to pour through scripture, specifically, by the way, the Psalms, I think, making them our prayers, to pour through these things and remind us of what God has done and what he is like and how he has handled things and what he is doing, what he has done in the past, what he is doing currently, and what he will do in the future. The way that we look forward to the hope that we have is often by looking back. Because when we look at our circumstances, it can get really confusing and really dark. We look at the world we live in and get really dark and we can forget that we live and we're created for an eternal scale. So we look back and we look what God has done. We look back at to Abraham who just hoped that he would have a kid because God said he would even though he was, old, he was old and his wife was barren. We look back to the hope of Ruth and Naomi. We look back to the hope of Moses. We look back to the hope uh, 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 of all of the men and women in scriptures that did not even know what God was doing through their life, could not have possibly conceived of the scope of God's grand work in all of history going on in their lives. And they had hope anyway, and God worked these things out. We look back at what God has done, what he's like, what he has done, and then we can have confidence that even now it looks dark, because I promised you there were days that looked dark for Moses, it looked dark for Abraham. There were a lot of days for Naomi and Ruth that it looked very dark. It looked very dark for Daniel when he was taken into captivity. It looked very dark for Joseph when his brothers threw him in the pit, and through all of those things, God was working. We look back at those stories and go, look what he's done. I bet you there were days that Joseph didn't believe. I bet you there were days it was hard for Daniel to believe. I bet it was hard days for Ruth to believe. They were dark, dark days. I mean, a whole nation was taken out into captivity. And still, we can look back at those things and look at our situation and go, yeah, it looks dark to me some days. And you know what? I can still have hope because this God is working today and he's promised those things. He accomplishes all of the things that he's promised and he's promised to return again. So we can have that kind of hope. We have to be still and reflect on the goodness of God revealed to us in scripture. Use the Psalms. Second thing that we need to do, I think, is to give up the illusion of control. If we want to have hope, we have to give up the illusion of control. We think that we are in control. And when life seems to look like it's getting out of control, we have a panic attack, right? Because we thought we were in control. Or worse yet, if when we get when things get out of control, we worry that it's not only are we not in control, but those people are in control and we have a huge panic attack. Here is the good news. You are not in control, and that makes me happy. I don't trust any of you to run the universe. You shouldn't trust me to. I'm a terrible, I'll be terrible at it. So we have hope because we were never the ones in control. And we get so, life feels out of control, we get so worked up and so nervous that everything's out of control, the world, the, the country, or whatever it is, looks out of control. You know what? Yeah, it was always out of your control. But the good news is it is in the hands of a good God, and even when it is dark, he is working things for his purpose, which is to glorify himself and for you to enjoy him forever. This is the hope shining in the darkness. And there's a tension. There is the both. There's both in this that we, that we pray fervently for God to change things, for God to heal this world, and we work and we pray for things that are on our heart, that he, that in our life, and we long for these things. And at the same time, we pray, you know what? Your will be done. You find both those things in all of Scripture. You find both of them in the Psalms. People praying, God, your will be done, but also fervently praying. How we face darkness, how we have hope in the darkness is by knowing that the darkness will not win. 
And when our confidence and our faith is firm in these things because we derive them deep into our bones through prayer, then we have hope. We are encouraged. And here's the third thing. We also encourage one another. I don't know what you guys thought was going on here, but what's happening here at BCC is uh, I want to spend the rest of my life surrounded by people that are preparing themselves to point me to Jesus when my life gets very dark. When it gets dark and I, can't, I feel like I don't have hope, there are people that come along beside me and they are prepared because they are living their lives for Jesus. They are prepared to pick me up and carry me and to encourage me along the way. Yesterday was amazing. Uh, we, uh, BCC was uh, sponsors for the uh, AK up here, the five-mile run up here. Uh, and it was in the rain, it was pouring, and all these people came out, and the kids came out, and they handed out water, and you would see people come down this road right here, and they're about to make the turn, and they would hear the noise. And we were the only water stop. So this is probably the first noise they heard in the whole stop. And they would see the screaming, and, and, and they would just come through, and they would smile. It'd be, not the first people. They, didn't, they were just completely unaware we were there. They were running so fast, it was not fair. Uh, but like, the people that were like struggling, like, they were like, oh, people, and they got so happy and they would smile and it was amazing. We would hand them water and cheer and play music and it was so much fun to encourage them. It reminded me of my friend Wade. Uh, um, He was a a preacher, pastor, a mentor of mine. Uh, It reminded me, uh, uh, he used to tell this story um, about how he got into running marathons and he said somebody invited him to a marathon one time when he went with them and he said he got, he was at the finish line and he said he just watched people cheering and screaming for each other. He said he was like, he was into it. Like he went to different places on the course to help this guy out and, and they get to the end and he saw all the people cheering and he said what he saw, I wasn't with him on this one. I went to, I went to many, many marathons with him after this when he started running but he said what happened was he was standing at the, at the end, uh, end of the uh, finish line cheering watching some of the leaders come in and he said, all of a sudden, this one dude tripped and fell, and the whole crowd like stops, and like you could like the whole crowd's like, <gasps> and they start like kind of yelling for him. And so the guy in front of him kind of hears something going on, stops, hears the noise, turns around, sees this guy's fallen, goes back, picks him up, and helps him fin- cross the finish line. Way was like, I'm doing this. All these strangers screaming for you, helping you out. I'm doing this. And Wade started running marathons after that. I don't know how many he ran, 10, 15? I don't know. He ran a lot of marathons. Wait, one is too many. And he, but he like so he ran more than that. Because of the encouragement that he would feel in that community. Listen, like that, it's us, right? It's us. There is a finish line, and the goal is to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want. And the reality of Scripture is there's a unity that brings us together. Longing to see that, to hear that, it brings us together. And no matter our differences, no matter our perspectives, our place, whether we're weak, whether we're strong, Jew, Gentile, goody two shoes, sinner, we all are reminding each other that we have to have hope. And that there is a sure hope that Jesus will return and make all things right. That is the firm hope. That is our foundation. That is what we live out of. And so here's the thing. Last thing. This is it. I'm done. Before I choke again. It says this. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It's a good word, abound. Right? You show up at a party and you're like, what's the dessert situation? Abounding. You're like, solid. Right? Abounding we can abound in hope that it just spills out of us, right? We can't contain it. Everywhere we go, hope just sloshes out of us. 
that is available to us. That level of hope in the midst of the darkness because we are so certain that the darkness will not win. We get to go be lights. I love this time of year. It gets dark and these, the, um, the lights, the houses. I love it so much. And I know, that, I know they didn't put them, a lot of people didn't put them up for this reason, but I love it. Those little bitty lights piercing the darkness make me happy. And the darker it gets, the brighter those lights are. I don't, I don't need to finish that, right? Like you get it. Yeah. The hope that we have because of the faith that we have that expresses itself in the love that we have. This is what we're doing because of the beauty of who Christ is. Because the resurrection is a fact, we have hope. Let's pray. Father, for the hope that we have in Jesus, we give you praise. For the hope that we have that this is not all that there is, we give you praise because you've revealed to us this reality. You've shown us the beauty of what you were doing. You have taught us how to be in this world in the in-between, in the already but not yet. You've taught us, shown us that you've not left us alone, but you've given us your spirit You've given us your church. You've not left us alone. So, as we encourage one another, as we encourage one another, pointing each other to Christ as revealed to us in Scripture, pointing each other to the God of Scripture who does these amazing things, God, may our hope just abound. May it overflow. May our expectation of the future good that we have secured for us in Christ, may that future good affect, have the power of changing our present, of how we perceive now. Our circumstances may be dark, but we have hope. Inside and outside, we may be dark, but we have hope. And may that hope affect how we see it, that it will not have the final say in eternity or in our lives but that you have, through your resurrection, shown that you have the final say, even over death itself. So in this season of tension, of great happiness and great sorrow, of darkness and light, and this life, mm, may our hope grow stronger as our faith grows stronger. I thank you for these people. I thank you for this church mm, that has already in dark times in my life reminded me the hope that I have in Jesus. And as we head towards the finish line, longing to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, arm in arm, may our love for one another grow. May our faith grow. May our hope grow so that we can live full of peace and joy. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.